Hello and welcome to the St Mark's podcast. Whether you regularly join us at church on Sundays or you're joining us for the very first time, we hope that this week's talk inspires you and draws you closer to Jesus. Okay, so the reading today is from John 8, it's verses 1 to 11. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered round him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So Joel's going to um, talk to us about justice this morning. So if you're able, I would like to reach out a hand towards Joel. Jesus, we thank you for Joel. And we thank you for the words that he's written down that he's going to share with us. And we pray that you give us listening ears and open hearts for justice in our world. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Emma. Um, Just want to start by apologizing for advertising that the person speaking about justice would be an incredibly handsome man. Uh, You've got me. Um, But that's okay. I'm sure you'll get used to it. Uh, I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of justice or when you hear that as a church, we want to be a church, uh, a healthy part of our church is a church that pursues justice. I don't know um, whether you think, uh, whether this image comes to mind, um, the one of someone in a big superhero cape. I don't know if it's going to pop up on screen. Hopefully it will. There we go. Yeah, I don't know if you're thinking this is what it's going to be like, whether one of our midweek groups is suddenly going to become uh, the Cape Crusaders of Grimsby. We're going to have our masks and our capes, and we're going to go around as vigilantes fighting crime on the Nunsthorpe estate. It's going to be the new group, the Justice Group. I don't know if that's what pops into your mind. I don't know, maybe you hear the word justice, you go, actually, what does that mean? Well, luckily, the dictionary gives us a good definition, and it defines it as this, as just behavior or treatment, as treating someone in a way that is fair, in a way that is equal, a way that is even. Uh, You don't have to go far into the Bible to discover its definition. Uh, God's foundation stone laying of the concept of justice. We get on to page one, Genesis 1, 27, where it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created us. And that's 
good news for all of us, no matter your race, your gender, your preference, whether you like Strictly Come Dancing or the Bake Off or you hate all of it, you read books, whatever you're into, whoever you are, wherever you are from, you have all been made in the image of God. And this is important for humans because we've been set apart from all of a creatures all of the rest of creation as we've been made in the image of God we are God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil by God's definition of good and evil I don't know whether you have an idea of what justice looks like according to your definition of good and evil uh, but as a teenager I had a strong sense of justice. I did something that perhaps not all of you did as teenagers, uh, and it was that me and all of my friends would loudly proclaim justice quite a lot, um, and it would come up in this context. We would be playing football in the park, for example. They don't have referees in the park when you have a kick around with your friends. And if someone had judged that they had been fouled by somebody else in a challenge, you didn't have someone blow a whistle and then uh, carry on. Basically, what we established was a system of justice. So if you felt like you had been fouled, you would wait until the other person got the ball and then you would wipe them out in a spectacular fashion, and you would proclaim, and everyone would join in, justice! <laughs> that isn't justice, and that's why God is the one who defines good and evil, not us. Uh, but you see it not just in teenagers, but in society. You see it not just now, but in the beginning of the Bible and all the way through it, is you see constant redefinitions of what good and what evil was and the consequences of that were that individuals and then families and then entire communities and entire nations were redefined by inequality and injustice by people lording over them what was right and what was wrong, by people deciding what was good and what was bad, not God deciding. And that's the context into which we reach the New Testament and we discover Jesus and we hear, uh, like in the beginning, uh, with God creating the world, we hear his foundation stone of the idea of justice and we hear Jesus is one. It's not when Jesus is at the wedding in Galilee when he, when he goes, oh, his mother goes, can you turn this water into wine? He goes, now is not the time because that's not the introduction he wanted to make to the world. He goes along with it, it's a whole other story. Um, but he goes, he's baptized, he uh, is tested in the wilderness for 40 days and then he comes and introduces himself in Luke 4 14 to 13. I wonder how you introduce yourself if you get to author the world if you get to introduce yourself I don't know if you noticed when we were up here we introduced ourselves I said I'm a curate it's not usually how I introduce myself um, you might introduce yourself as a husband, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter. You might say you're a parent. You might say you might say your job. Um, your job might be more exciting. Um, you might say, uh, my name's Bob and I like creme brulee. I don't know. How you introduce yourself is important. And this reading in Luke 4 is really significant because it's how Jesus publicly introduces himself 
um, to everybody else. Obviously, I knew him as Joseph's son, Joseph and Mary's son. You know, he lives at 4A down there. But this is how he introduces himself. So when he returned to Nazareth, he returned uh, on the Sabbath to the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up uh, to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and as it was handed to him, and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And that's how he's introduced himself to absolutely everybody and their eyes were fastened on him as he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus introduces himself with a statement of justice, with a statement harking back to this idea that we're all made in the image of God and deserve to be treated as such. He is good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. His introduction to everybody was one proclaiming justice for all. But it's not just uh, a set of rules. Tim Keller says this, biblical justice is not just a set of bullet points or a set of rules or guidelines. It is rooted in the very character of God. It is the outworking of that character, which is never less than just. Jesus wasn't coming and saying, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to take care of these people and then we'll reset and start again. Jesus's character was one that sought to bring justice to society. And it wasn't just Jesus in the New Testament, but it's also in the Old Testament through all the prophets. Uh, there's so many references that I couldn't write them down. I think there's well over 100 references to the poor, the widows, the orphan, and the foreigner. Constantly. You read through the Old Testament, it's the poor, the widows, the orphan, the foreigner. The poor, the widows, the orphan, the four. I don't know if you would add some other people into those categories now. I think the poor still struggle. <laughs> I think widows still struggle. I think orphans still struggle. I think foreigners still struggle. Foreign is probably not the best word. I don't know whether it feels like it's aggressive in 2023 to say foreigner. But that's not a good state to be. Because they whoever they are, are equal with all of us, created in that way to bear the image of God. And God wants us to treat them like that. It says uh, in Micah 6 verse 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. God has told us what is good. What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So God created us in justice. God 
constantly talks about justice and Jesus introduces himself with this idea that he had come to bring justice and it had been fulfilled in his coming. And I don't know if you've looked at the world around us, but it doesn't often feel just. I'm not making any political points when I say that Israel, Gaza, Palestine, all of that stuff looks a bit complicated and a bit unjust in various places. And I'm not going to be able to unravel all of that um, today, or at least in a way that would be interesting. What I wanted to use that as is an example of how far things have got in various places and also to say that that isn't going to change after this sermon. You're not going to hear a sermon on justice and then go and solve the Middle East. It's just not what I'm hoping for. What I'm hoping for is that justice starts with me. Justice starts with you. Justice starts in your household. Justice starts on your streets. Justice starts in Grimsby. Maybe one of you will go and be an international peacekeeper and go and solve something big and wonderful, and that's great. But justice starts here with us. And that is why I wanted the reading that Emma read to us today. Because it, I want us to put on the shoes um, or sandals of the person in our story today. And I want you to hear it in fresh ears. And I want you to put yourself in that scenario. So I want you to visualize it. As I walk it through, I'm not going to read it word for word. I'm going to dramatize it. But I want you um, to imagine yourself in the shoes of the woman caught in adultery. I mean, there was a man involved in this. I don't know how he managed to escape all of that, but that's society at the time, right? The woman is caught in adultery. She knows what she is doing is wrong. Fidelity can sometimes be boring, and she's got something exciting going on with somebody new, someone who she's not married to. But moments later, she is torn away from that, and she will have been dragged through her community by maybe a nosy neighbor, maybe her friends, maybe her family, and brought to a rabbi who will join in with the procession of people. She must have been petrified from that moment of exhilaration to deep shame, catching eyes with the people as she's walked through the streets thinking what is going to happen, probably knowing what is going to happen. Because this kind of thing happened in those days. People were stoned to death for all kinds of things. In various places in the world, people still are killed by angry mobs. And that will have been what it felt like as she was dragged and thrown before another rabbi who's sitting on the floor doodling. And I'm sure she could hear the sound, the deathly silence as he's drawing on the floor. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in an act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? She must have frozen. 
must have thought this is it. The angry mob behind her, she waited for the first stone to come. But he straightened up and said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he bent back down and started drawing on the floor. You can imagine the sound of the sand as he's drawing. And she's probably closed her eyes, anticipating, tensed up, waiting for the first stone to strike. But as she's standing there, she hears a thud. And she thinks, oh, maybe the first stone missed. Still tense. But as she continues, she hears more thuds, more stones hitting the floor, and quickly she realizes that those stones aren't missing. Those stones are being dropped. Those stones are being abandoned. And one by one, bit by bit, the people leave. And she's left standing there in front of Jesus, who stands up and says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. The reason I wanted to use this story is because I think Jesus does three things um, and I think they're really significant when we come to think about justice and they put us in the scenario where we are in the shoes of the woman um, who's been caught in an, the act of adultery and dragged before Jesus and people are asking for retribution. They're not asking for a nice thing. They're asking for that justice that I proclaimed as a teenager. They want her to get the punishment that she deserves. But that's not what Jesus brings. Jesus does three things. He sacrifices privilege, he suspends judgment, and he brings restorative justice. He sacrifices privilege. Now, privilege is a difficult word again in 2023 because you can accuse people of it or you can be accused of it and it never feels comfortable. We're all privileged in one way, shape or form. Some of us are privileged with our time. Some of us are privileged, all of us are privileged to be born into a country where one day it can be torrential rain, the other day it can be glorious sunshine. We're privileged in that we live in a country that has infrastructure, has water, has shops, has food. We're privileged in many ways and we're not privileged in a whole other bunch of ways. I'm sure all of us have our own stories to tell, but Jesus was the most privileged man of all time in that he was God. But he sacrificed the privilege to come and be man. Not to be born into a temple with lots of you know, money and everything he wanted, but to be born into a stable. And he constantly sacrificed his privilege throughout um, his time in society. He sat at tables, which was considered to be something of, you know, you sit at the table with people who you can do benefit to or they can do benefit for you at that time. He chose to sit with tax collectors, prostitutes, 
homeless. He touched people who were ill, which again, you sacrifice the privilege of being able to go to the temple, of being able to celebrate Sabbath, of being able to do normal parts of society. He constantly sacrificed his privilege to the benefit of those around him who were not, because of life, being treated in the image of God. So the question for me is, where where am I sacrificing my privilege? When do I get the opportunity to treat someone with the treatment that they deserve and I walk on by? It's little, but I, I used to. <laughs> I used to, um, anytime I saw a homeless person, I would do the head down, try not to make eye contact, walk away. I, I'm not going and changing the homeless people in Grimsby's life, but I will look them in the eye and I will say, sorry, I don't have any change because I never have any change. I don't carry cash. If they had a card machine, maybe it would make a difference, but that's a whole other point. You deserve at the very least to have eye contact and a word spoken to you. Maybe one day I'll get better at it and I'll know what to do, but that's one. Number two is suspending judgment. This woman will have lived with this moment for the rest of her life. She will have been known in the community as that woman who committed adultery. But Jesus does not judge her or condemn her for it. She's done that herself. She knows what her life is like. That moment will have changed her forever. And he could have said, yeah, you've done wrong. Come on, everybody, let's lob the stones. But he did not. He said, which one of you has not done something wrong in your life? When we meet people, we need to hold the same sense of a suspension of judgment. We have a youth club in here on Tuesdays, and it would be very easy for us to say they are wrecking the place. They have no respect for our property. They have broken glasses. They have broken brakes off little trolleys. They have done all kinds of things. It's very easy to judge people, especially if we don't know them, especially if we don't, you know, especially if we don't experience what it's like to live with them. And our final point is restorative justice. The word for justice that is often used in the Bible is the word Miss Pat. It's not, oh, I miss Pat because she's not here. Um, it's probably got a better pronunciation than that. And it's often, it is used in a retribution way, in a revenge way. Let's go and get justice. But it's most often used in a restorative way, in a way that um, doesn't seek to punish people for what they have done, but um, seek to advocate for those who are on the wrong end of injustice. Jesus seeks restoration. He restores her uh, life. She doesn't die. She's able to live. We don't hear from her again, but maybe she went back to her husband. Maybe she lived a life that was excellent from that point forward. Maybe she was really touched by Jesus' death and was part of the early church. We don't know. We don't know. And in some ways, that's the point. 
we don't have to seek justice um, and then follow it for the rest of our lives. We just have to demand that the justice we're seeking is not revenge, is not retribution, is not eye for an eye. So Jesus sacrificed privilege. He suspended his judgment. And he always, always sought from Genesis to the end to bring restoration in justice. When he went to the cross, he brought us all restoration. We, do, we don't have to die uh, in the same way. We get new life because of Jesus. So, um, as I said, we're not leaving this place with a full understanding of how um, to solve all of the world's problems. But um, I w want us to be a people who seek um, justice in the world around us with the people we meet, with the structures that we work in. That's, that's the point that justice um, has an impact because there's a lot of us here. Let's close in prayer. God, I pray that you uh, would inspire us as a church to be a people who seek justice in our lives. I pray that you would give us opportunity with our friends, with our family, to treat them as the creation that you made them, made in your image. I pray that you would remind us when we get angry, when we want revenge, when we want retribution of that story of the woman caught in adultery, that you would put us in the position of Jesus, of reminding ourselves those without sin cast the first stone. And Lord, I pray right now you would raise up leaders um, in Grimsby and beyond who would go forth into the world and seek the kind of justice that is world-changing. I pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Amen. Oh,